I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to our Big Squid Limited series, Space Podacy, a new series where comedian Ben Elwood and I discuss some of our favourite science fiction movies. Today we're bringing in guest Richard Feidler to help us discuss the brilliant Children of Men. Hello, and thank you for joining me today for part one of our two part Children of Men episode. It wasn't meant to be a two-parter, but it turns out you bring in Richard and you put him in the mix with Ben and I, and it becomes a big podcast. And it's great. It's really interesting. Uh, There's interesting talks, not just about uh, the world building in this movie. Uh, There's some personal stories, etc. And there's also a really dumb argument over who's better. And I'm not going to tell you who the two characters are, but they are two characters that should never be mentioned in the same breath. But uh, in case you're wondering, the second part will be available tomorrow night, so you won't have long to wait to hear the rest of this podcast. Uh, For those of you who might be overseas and uh, don't know who Richard Feidler is, he's one of our most respected ABC broadcasters. He's been one of my oldest and dearest friends. He's been kind of like a mentor to me ever since I was about 16. He's been very good to me and we were wrapped to be able to bring him in for this podcast. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this as much as we, uh, you know, had a lot of fun recording it. Uh, Thank you also to the feedback to the Pass the Amel segment with Garth Jones. I feel like Garth is opening up a whole new world of movies a lot of you haven't seen before, and your responses have been fantastic. It's really exciting. Uh, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, don't forget to let Garth know too. Uh, I try to pass on your messages, but, you know, sometimes I get busy or, you know, I know he's doing stuff with his daughter and I think I'll send it later and then I forget. And look... 
I'm also convinced he thinks I'm buttering him up sometimes, you know, just trying to make him feel a little bit better, and it's not true. Well, I am trying to make him feel better, but I'm trying to make him feel better with the facts and the emails and the messages you're sending me. So if you're on Twitter or Instagram and you uh, want to send a message to Pass the Ammo, oh, good old Garth Jones, please do so. Uh, I think uh, passing on the love from you would make my life easier. Maybe he'll believe me a little bit more. Uh, on top of that, your reactions to the Doctor Who episode with Rove on Monday have been lighting up my inbox. Sounds a little bit rude, and I don't mean it that way. And it is great to hear from so many of you, uh, especially uh, th- those of you who are enjoying the season as much as we are. I love hearing people's speculation on where this season is going. So keep it coming, my friends. I love it. I love it all. Uh, before we launch into this episode, I'd like to give my Patreon shout out for the podcast. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard, one of the perks you receive for signing up to any tier on Patreon for this podcast is having an episode dedicated to you. And today's patron shout out goes to Thea Elizabeth Boggs, another listener in the States. I've had some lovely interactions with Thea on our private Facebook page. But Thea, I need you to reply to my email on Patreon. I'm dying to know what the origin of your name is. I love it so much. I've had friends with beautiful names in the past, like Alila and Nalani. By the way, they're sisters. What great names, right? Alila and Nalani. And I put Thea up there. So please let me know what your name means. I I tried to have a look, but you know, it's always better finding out from the person. So... Anyway, I think this is how you answer the the question for modern times. How do you keep an idiot in suspense? You don't reply to his Patreon question. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, Thea. Thank you for supporting the podcast, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you'd like to subscribe and receive bonus podcasts, scripts, early looks at new segment ideas, etc., please head to Patreon, and you can find me at Justin Hamilton Big Squid. For our new subscribers, and uh, we have a lot. And this is great. This is, uh, you might not be 100% aware of what we're doing here. This is a podcast where my friends and I discuss all manner of arts and entertainment that we're loving. And you can either join in on the conversation or if you don't quite know what we're talking about, we always try to make it user-friendly. So we might introduce you to something you haven't experienced before. So thank you to all of our new subscribers and a big hello and thank you to all of our OG subscribers too. Let's get to it with Ben and Richard. When infertility threatens mankind with extinction and the last child born has perished, a disillusioned bureaucrat becomes the unlikely champion in the fight for the survival of Earth's population. Before he can take on this responsibility, he must face down his own demons as he protects the planet's last remaining hope from danger. Strap yourselves in. We're entering the world of children of men. I can't really remember when I last had any hope. And I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. The youngest person on Earth was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours and 8 minutes old. The ultimate mystery, why are women infertile? Some say it's genetic experiments, pollution. Why do you think we can't make babies anymore? Doesn't matter. It's all over in 50 years. It's too late. Move along! Move along! 
Dorothea. Have it been? I'm sorry about the theatrics. Police have been a pain lately. I haven't seen you for nearly 20 years. I need your help. Not for me, a girl. I need to get her to the coast, past security checkpoints. It's hard for me to look at you. He had your eyes. So why did you come to me? I trust you. Show him. Now you know what's at stake. We have to meet the boat. What is this boat? The human project of Center Boat. The human project? It's the greatest minds in the world working for a new society. Your baby is the miracle the whole world has been waiting for. We will find a way to get you to the human project, I promise you. We're almost there, Keith. We're almost there. Two questions before we actually start this podcast properly. Uh, we've had uh, a member of our Patreon, Richard, who has sent me a message this morning, and I thought, well, why not open with it? It has nothing to do with science fiction. It's directed towards Benjamin over there. Tim Unwin. He needs to know where you are at with Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Because he's playing, he's spent many hours in it, it's yeah. very emotional, and he's curious to know. Now, you, you'll have to explain to Richard oh. just briefly what All you right, were doing. So, Red Dead Redemption is a kind of almost virtual reality-esque Western game for the Xbox. I gave up gaming a long time ago. So, it's like a real-time 3D shoot 'em up in other words. No, well, no, no. It's 2D, but the, oh. level of the level of immersivity is so intense that it becomes a virtual reality-esque experience. So... You can spend eight, nine hours hunting elk or whittling right. or oiling your pistols or going to the market. Like it becomes, uh, it's it's slow gaming in a way I've never experienced before. Is oiling your pistols some kind of slang? It's literally, it's literally, literally oiling your pistols. It's literally oiling your pistols so they don't misfire when you're <laughs> in a shootout. Well, it's not like, hey, mate, you want to come over yeah. here and oil your pistol with me? It's mate. not like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only way I can get erect is if right. I oil my pistol yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> you grot. Right. Uh, so I gave up gaming a long time ago. Yes. And during lockdown, uh, needed something to kind of while away the days, got back into this thing. It's the kind of thing I would have rejected years ago because it is this slow motion kind of thing. But in the context of lockdown and feeling like I could live another life, it was incredibly gratifying. So, Tim. Yeah. Uh I was right. My character had tuberculosis. Yep. He died. And uh, I'd spent many... <laughs> <laughs> what? You can get tuberculosis in this game? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that sounds all right, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I had to watch this guy slowly cough his way to death. And there's this whole kind of um, ethics meter. So the way you behave in the game and the way you interact with people influences your standing in the world. So, I dedicated my life to being as good as I could possibly be. Yeah. And when Arthur died, I had an overblown emotional reaction to a game I've never had before. Like, I've had it with movies, I've had it with theatre before, but games have always been a very disposable thing to me. So, when he died, it was intense, and I got very emotionally distraught, 
And then when he dies, you become a new guy. And I became so resentful of being this new guy that I've basically now become a complete psychopath and wow. I, ride around, I ride around the West just killing everyone. Right. Uh, and, and take like a real delight. Because in the past, you know, there's the games like Grand Theft Auto and stuff where you're very much encouraged to be yeah. evil and kill people and yeah. run people over and all this stuff. Uh, whereas, and you kind of want to do that as the player. And there were many instances in Red Dead where I would have my gun pointed at someone and me, Ben, would want to kill them. But knowing Arthur would never do that wouldn't kill the person. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, the level of con- connectivity you have with this character is profound. I was involved in games development in the early mid-90s. Yeah. And we're always waiting for the technology to catch up to, for processor speed to get to yeah, a yeah, point yeah. where you could, cre- could create compelling virtual reality. But the real question that was always being talked about at the time yeah. was... When are we going to have a kind of a game or something like that kind of virtual experience, mm. which has emotional consequences beyond uh, rage yeah, yeah. and feelings of blood-soaked victory, yeah. uh, uh, frustration yeah. and uh, e- excitement? Something with uh, uh, to see how the, how the medium could play out with new forms of emotional engagement yes. with an interactive medium. Like, friends of mine who were playing Mist, and I was playing Mist at the time. Mm. You know, remember that game that yeah. came out? It was yeah. like yeah. 8K colour to be with. Yeah. Um, and that could make you feel lonely, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. So I was always interested in, in that. Yeah. Although it doesn't seem like much has moved on that front. Uh, it's, it's always about, you know, dopamine. It's still... Yeah, I think it? that's what it is. And I think that's what's interesting about this game, that uh, for the first probably four or five hours I played it, it was so slow that I was getting really frustrated. Right. You know, trudging through the snow, kind of, let's go, let's fucking kill people. And then something shifted in my brain. And I don't know if it would have happened outside of COVID, but eventually... It was just peaceful to ride and feel connected with it. That, that's what I mean. I haven't felt an, an emotional connection to a video game character before. Mm. And it's the first time in my life that I ever felt this is art. You know, this is the first time I'm riding my horse up a mountain, the sun's setting, and I actually stop and sit on the edge of the cliff to watch the sunset. And this was Arthur? So, this so, was Arthur? This was Arthur. And Arthur's dead. <laughs> Arthur's yeah. dead. Arthur's now dead I'm John. Now yeah. I'm John and I wear a fucking bear head on my head yeah. and I ride around in a black trench coat and everyone I pass, bang, bang, fuck you! And it's the shift was extreme. So that's where I'm at with Red Dead Redemption Well, here's, now. here's to Arthur. He was yeah. too good for that world. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say for this world, but he was good for, too yeah. good for that world. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what a good guy. But, <laughs> what, a, what an arsehole of a game that it fucking mm-hmm. kills off the guy that you've bonded with yeah as well but you know like like you were just saying that level of uh emotion was profound you know like as he's dying there was uh you know the same as what and i'm sure we'll talk about this in children of men because i had a very extreme emotional reaction to this watching it this morning uh i feel that a lot in film but i've never felt that in video games before but you spend 50 hours with this guy and every decision he makes somehow has consequence. And that's something that the programming's never been able to do before, where every single decision has consequence yeah. of how you treat people. Yeah. Well, there you go, Tim Unwin. Your questions have been answered. Sorry if I spoiled that Arthur dies, Tim. No, I've, I have the impression that he has also invested a lot of time mm. and effort into this, and that's why yeah. he was curious to know where you were at with it. It was a very nice question. Full-blown psychosis is where yep. I'm at. He's, <laughs> I'm he, Ed Harris in Westworld. Yeah, he's had a nervous <laughs> breakdown at 39, and uh, he is now about to check out. Uh, and before we get into this properly, Richard, what was the first sci-fi movie that you really got into? 
Uh, Logan's Run. Oh yes, I'm, I'm that old. I can I saw it in the Hindley Street Cinema in Adelaide. Yeah, when it came out, that was bef- just before Star Wars. I think the year before Star Wars, yeah. or maybe a couple of years before that. And I was just dazzled by it. Yeah, just dazz- and I went and looked at it again, and. And it's really actually all about building that world. And once it's built the world, it's got nowhere to go. Logan goes on his run and they get their gear off in the ice cave with Box, the robot. And after that, nothing much happens really. But um, it's like the movie ran out of of money. Uh, They walk outside and they're in a forest and it's, I don't know, some Hollywood backlot or something. And you go, that's pretty boring. I was expecting outside to be really cool. Right. Uh, That was uh, released in 1976. Uh, for a budget of seven point uh, seven to eight million, and it made twenty five million, starring Michael York and uh, Jenny Agata, Jenny Agata, and Farrah Fawcett Majors and Peter Ustinov. Yeah, pretty pretty big, um, pretty big cast there. Pretty yeah. big cast. Yeah. They've, they've tried to reboot Logan's Run a couple of times, haven't they? Yeah, but th- the great thing about Logan's Run is that seventies aesthetic. Yep. That it has all the way through it. Like everyone's wearing skimpy clothes. Yeah. Um, it's a, a giant, the, the future is a giant shopping mall. Everyone <laughs> yeah. has to die before the age of 30. Yeah. Uh, as they play, they, they, they play carousel. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's really cool. I, I just kind of, and you look back and you can see what a cheap model set it is, the, 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 the city of Logan's Run. But, <laughs> right. But I don't know, you know how it is back, back pre blue screen, pre, pre, well, it wasn't pre blue screen, but it's pre digital effects. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you don't mind. You didn't, I didn't mind anyway. I, 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 I wasn't, wasn't looking for the fakeness. I was really looking for the sense of reality, and I was really thrilled by it. Well, it, you, you, your imagination fills in the gaps. Yes. Like, if you give enough, then you just kind of smooth out the edges, don't you? And yeah. funnily enough, that's where CGI, for me, fails, is because they they work so hard it's at... too much detail. ...giving all this mm. detail, which ages really quickly. Mm. Uh, also, when you're watching, you know, when you're watching a sci-fi movie, you know whatever you're looking at is fake, inherently. And so, when it has... When it's a real model, you know, when it's a real miniature or it's a puppet or it's a creature, you can suspend your disbelief easily because it is on set and the light is getting it in a way that it is a real object as opposed to CG where it's like, well, I know it's fake and it looks fake, so I'm checked out. It's also stopped the aesthetic from moving on. I think when you have a situation in the 70s where everything's going to be a model, then you have to distract the the viewer by having an amazing aesthetic. Right. Uh, And so... With CGI, everyone goes, oh, bung up something that looks like Alien. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really moved mm-hmm. beyond Alien. How many sci-fi movies still start with some kind of chunk of metal that's some kind of mining right. spaceship that's off to planet Blurg? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and it's identified by crawling text. Like, yeah. they still have MS-DOS. You know? Oh, yeah. And it goes... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it does all that. So, so they, they can fl- fly giant mining ships. <laughs> yeah. But... They're still running MS-DOS on their computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's and, the only thing that was reliable. Yeah. They had to go back to it. That's right. It's yeah. almost like the studio has all the assets in the database. And so it's like, well, just chuck an extra satellite dish on it and give it a blue-gray wash and that can be, you know, whatever the new movie is. Yeah, so, so I think that's a problem in a way because we're not seeing new kinds of science fiction. Blade Runner, Alien, Blade Runner, Alien. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. where we're still at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is interesting uh, coming into this film. Uh, it's the 15th anniversary of mm. Children of Men. Um, and uh, when did you first see Children of Men? Did you see when it? It came the... out. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, saw a, I saw a preview of it, I think, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got to see a preview of it as well. That was back when I was doing I'm... movie reviews and yeah. didn't really know a lot going in. Me neither. Yeah. had no idea what I was about to see. I, I went in as a radio person just you know, going to watch the movie and um, there was so much... I, I, I had no expectations. Yeah. So the sheer 
brilliance of it completely overwhelmed me and confused me and delighted me. And even though it's unspeakably and almost incessantly grim, I felt weirdly elated yes. walking out of the cinema watching yep. it. Right, yep, yep, yeah. Yep. What about you, Ben? Uh, I don't know when I first saw it. I, I remember the first time I properly that it probably rocked me was probably six, seven years ago. And I haven't seen it since then uh, up until this morning. Uh, I think the reason it rocked people back in 2006 when it first came out, is that 2000? Yep. That's a fairly fallow period for film. You know, the, the, the 2000s and the early 20-teens is not a great... Especially American cinema. And that this movie has guts you know it goes to a place that i don't think even movies now go to you know it really drags you through something it does that thing which <sighs> all good movies should do which is it first of all it looks really really hard yeah. at what it's looking at yeah. yeah like stares at it really hard yeah yeah uh like all the all the best movies do that and I, it's an odd thing to say but like you know that I think it's the opening scene in Let the Right One In, the original one. Yeah. The, and you, it's the back seat of a taxi. You're seeing yeah. through a, a window, and it's the little girl vampire in her thrall. Yeah. And and it's looking so fucking hard at that, and you go and you, you sort of lean in your seat yeah. to look into that into that ta- into that mm. taxi, mm. and and right from the start, Children of Men has that as well. That feeling like you've got to you lean forward a bit in your seat, just to, almost like you want to lean around corners. Yeah. You know, there's an amazing story about I'm going off ten- on a tangent here. You know, Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Uh, I, I read a story about that, that when R- Roman Polanski was filming that, you know the, where the deal is done to sell Rosemary's, uh, Rosemary to the baby to the devil? Yeah. Um, all, you, all you see is the, the leg of the husband coming out of a doorway as um, the woman goes in to make the deal. And Polanski said he was so happy when he saw audiences trying to peer around yeah. and look right. around right. in what was going on behind the door. Yeah. And, and so that feeling of deep visual engagement is is incredibly powerful. The second thing that Children of Men has, I think, is a complete utter unpredictability and that delicious feeling of helplessness mm. you have. You go, well, I don't know what's going to happen now. And, and that happens again and again. I have no idea where this is going. I'm in a taxi being driven by a madman yeah. from place to place um, who's drunk or but yes. kind of really knows yes. what he's doing. And and. Isn't that delicious? It's complete yes. surrender yes. of yeah. yourself to the narrative without expectations. You're not trying to second guess it. it this is not going to be a bundle of cliches. This is something new, original, and terrifying. I, and I'm being dragged along in and and what you just said of the the, the power of just looking and not cutting because especially films of that era. That's when that kind of um, Paul Greengrass, yes. Jason Bourne style editing started coming. Yeah. Chop 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 chop. These shots that do not look away and you are forced to engage with yeah. you know horrendous imagery i mean that final sequence uh which obviously we'll get to that goes for about 12 minutes yeah. and obviously it's a stitched together yeah. um long take but you are there with him you know those blood splashes on the camera lens stay there for a good three or four minutes yeah. it's um you you are forced to engage uh and yeah. you are not given a break by the editor yeah I've got something good about that blood stain as well. The, the minutia of that opening scene is such an extent that when that bomb goes off, my first thought is, oh, man, that dog got killed. <laughs> That's because I noticed that dog. The, because the dog looks at Clive Owen when he walks in as if to say, 
Fuck me, it's Clive Owen. And then that dog's blown up. So I, I wasn't paying that. I was, I was just frightened by it. Right. It, it, it frightened me. That oh, yeah. Off. It, yeah. It, it really did, yeah. So and we'll get to our first segment. This is, uh, I've renamed this. This is an accidental segment. It's called Google Me Chuck. I know, I brought in an NBA reference to this. Uh, when uh, Shaquille O'Neal and, and Charles Barkley argue and Charles always tells Shaq that he wasn't very good. He always tells him, Google me, Chuck. And uh, just to remind him... And and so the, what I like to do for, for Richard, who hasn't uh, done this before, I, I just Google the title and see what the first questions are that come up. And uh, the first one is, did children and men uh, lose money? Which it did. It grossed less than $70 million really? on a, se- yeah, a $76 million budget. Flop. Really? Yeah, yeah. flop. Yeah. yeah. This is a running theme in a lot of movies we talk about. Yeah, the, 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 the movies too. that tank and then become the classics. Yeah. The yeah. thing was a big one, yeah. Uh, what is the point of the movie, Children of Men? Uh, and then. Well, can we build up to that? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But no, no, we don't need to get to it. But right. I'm just telling you what yeah. the questions are that people obviously write. So this is why this comes up first. And then what caused infertility? Infertility in the movie Children of Men, which is interesting. Because I don't know about you, I never wondered. Like I never wondered what caused infertility. I oh, just went, uh, "Oh, they're infertile." Okay, well, I, I have thoughts. I've got a pretty good idea. I've I've been waiting for women to wake up to how unattractive we men are for quite some time. <laughs> right, and I, don't you ever look think about women? What do they ever see in us? What do they ever see in us? Yeah, right. I mean, uh, you know, we look terrible when we're naked compared to them. We, yeah. um, you know, we're always starting wars and doing stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, you don't reckon there's any infertility issues? That's that's more they're just not sleeping with men. Maybe that's, that's right. what's happening. Yeah. Right. That's right. They yes. could they could have solved this. Yeah, yeah. They could have. No, no, no yeah. that makes a lot of sense now when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, the crisis is the result of women being infertile. In the original novel by P. D. James, it is the result of men producing no sperm. Uh, this is uh, the next segment. First context: These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after. So, in two thousand three, you get the Matrix sequels. Two thousand four, you get Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Two thousand five, you get Star Wars Ep Five: Revenge of the Sith. 2007, you get Sunshine. 2008, you get Cloverfield. 2009, you get Moon and District 9. So it's kind of interesting where it sits. It doesn't really feel like it's any of those. No, it's, no, a, it's a real outlier in yeah. the intensity mm. of what it's showing. And then uh, for our segment, The Year That Was, these are some of the movies that came out in the year of 2006. A Scanner Darkly. Mm. It's yeah. not too bad. Uh, the Fountain. Mm. Love The Fountain. Uh, the Host. Uh, oh, the Korean movie? Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Yep. The uh, Southland Tales, one of the all-time great car wrecks. Mm. I kind of enjoy it, but <laughs> it is a car wreck. Uh, v for Vendetta and Superman oh. Returns. So, what a what a broad range of movies, uh, sci-fi movies, even in that year. In that context, it's no surprise that it didn't do well. Yes. I, f- I, feel, I feel like, you know, that, that's kind of like a lot of those are mass entertainments. And well, this the, is not necessarily a feel-good movie. No, well, I think in an historical context, it's not surprising as well. Yeah. I mean, this is after this is when the Iraq War is going through its surge phase. Yeah, when it's mired in hopelessness, the whole uh, the assumptions that the invasion was predicated on were patently false, and yeah. it's really clear that many people knew that they were false to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, there are reports in the United States. 
at least, of Marines, boots on the ground, people being killed, and never mind the civilians and yeah. the atrocities that are taking place. I don't know when Abu Ghraib was, uh, the, that scandal came out. That might have been around about that it time. It was before this movie, because so there's I'm, imagery in this movie that directly mirrors that. Abu Ghraib, right. Yeah. So, so I think there's probably a lack of appetite to seeing fictionalised versions of those scenes that they're getting in the news anyway. Well, it's yeah. very funny that you say The Fountain came out in the same... Have you seen The Fountain, Richard? No, I don't by, know what it is. By the way, uh, Abu Ghraib uh, happened in 2004. Yeah. Right. So The Fountain is Darren Aronofsky's third film, and it's it's a beautiful film about... Basically about a man coming to terms with the fact that he's going to die one day, done through kind of a fantasy sci-fi lens. That was at the cinema for a week before it was canned. It was one of the most unsuccessful movies ever. And again, one of those movies that has got a critical reappraisal. People are starting to go, this was fantastic. And Aronofsky came out and said, he isn't surprised that his movie about coming to terms with the fact that you're going to die one day and coming to peace with that did not do well in the era of Paris Hilton. And I would say that that is probably applicable to Children of Men as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten that the movie's set in 2027. Yes. How anxious does that make you <laughs> feel? six years to go. Yeah. It's not a movie, it's a documentary set mm. from the past, set yes. from the future. Well, particularly <laughs> since there's been a major report that I read about, was at The Atlantic or The New York Times, that of declining fertility, it seems millennials just are deciding not to have kids yeah. or, or to get married. Yeah. Uh, apparently, I don't know, there just seems to be like a, a vast international drop in libido yeah um there's of course you know for better or worse a a new kind of uh moral language around sexual activity that makes people go i might just stay in tonight i think rather than risk whatever might be happening out there yeah um so it is kind of interesting to see the birth rate dropping and to see how what happens when a country like australia which completely relies on migration to bring young people into the country yeah. who are going to work and pay for the pensions of mm. old people. What, what happens after two years when we've had zero migration? Mm. Yeah. There's all these labour chokages. There's all this, this this problem with the tax base that's yeah. going to take years and years to recover from. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of one of those movies where you look and you think, yeah, it does feel like an accidental future documentary. It does uh, the, mm. the, all the talk about... Uh, the refugees and the way they're treated and, uh, like, it really taps into something. Well, well, still, though, if there was a population crisis like they're, they're proposing there, rationally, governments would be competing for migrants. Right. Yet the youngest people that were remaining on the planet yeah. come in and work to sustain the population of older people. But I think what the film's suggesting is whether it has that thought in mind or not. I mean, who knows whether Alphonse Cuaron is reading, you know, Wealth of Nations, you know, Al- yep. <laughs> um, or, or, or um, John Maynard Keynes or anyone like that. But, but, but I think that the point that's being made there is that things have become so cruel. Yeah. There's such a vengeful thing going on in the culture that people and the governments are deciding to be excessively, exceptionally cruel yeah. to migrants nonetheless. Well, it, well, the, it feels more like Brexit yeah. uh, when you're looking at it through this lens. Well, isn't the suggestion also, I mean, uh, that basically every other country has turned to shit and it's only England left. Yes, that's right. And yeah. so there is no, you know, there, there is no desire to import anyone, will bring anyone in at all because it's just, you know, we are this kind of closed off kingdom and we must protect whatever dwindling resources we still have. Yeah, well, um, I've got some stuff in the squid bits later on, mm. but, you know, 
like I spend a lot of time reading the newspapers that are stuck up and you, you learn a lot about the world in... Uh, Can I say that I think that is the, great, the greatest part of this movie is the world building. This movie is all about backgrounds. Yeah. The entire story, the world and the story yeah. of this movie is done through just... And it's so elegant and so perfect. You know, it's, it's very much like we've talked about this with Fury Road. Yeah. You know, you don't need to know how the world collapsed. No, it's really it's, boring to explain it. Exactly. Yeah. It's all just there in mm. little props and little details. And, you know, it, it, even that um, notion of, you know, all the country, the world's collapsed and only England survives. It's an ad on the bus. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of blink and you miss it. Yeah. You know, stuff's taught through graffiti, photos in the background. It's just, it's so, so yeah, perfect. First lesson of the narrative, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the opening scene is also a, a masterful example of world building, uh, especially with the shocking news of the last person ever born, Diego, Baby being Diego. St- stabbed to death. Killed yeah. for not signing an autograph. Uh, is so he hasn't this- died accidentally. He's no. been murdered. Yeah, so he's the been- youngest little person on the globe yeah. has been murdered. Because he didn't want to sign an autograph. Yeah. And that feels right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feels like where we're going. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like in like we could finish this podcast, turn on uh, the news, and discover that Justin Bieber's been stabbed through the eye <laughs> by a woman <laughs> who's fifty three, who's angry because he didn't look in her direction when she called his name. Of course, well that ownership of celebrity, you know, yeah, yeah. that that feeling of we're friends, you know, I've engaged with you my whole life, and so yeah. you know, surely I mean as much to you as you mean to me. Yeah, and what a shit thing to be uh, celebrated for, baby Diego. Mm. Yeah, that you're the last like. You know, mm. I, I'm having a guess he's probably not even really that good at much shit. <laughs> you know? So he's like prob- many young celebrities, like yeah. many young influencers. Yeah, so he's probably not very good at things, trying to mind his own business. Someone asks for an autograph, he says no, stab. Uh, 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 and yeah. now some poor other bastard is now the youngest person. Yeah, the and they must be Diego. thinking, oh, yeah. fuck. Mm. It was so much better when Diego was around. Would you wear an I, I am with Diego t-shirt? <laughs> I feel like I'd be very much like Clive Owen in this mm. movie, just kind of going through my life trying oh, yeah. not to engage very much yeah. with all of this. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that now uh, in our segment on which character you think you'd be in, how you'd uh, react to everything in this. Uh, we meet Clive Owen's character, Theo Farron, who was nearly killed in a bomb blast. Theo in Greek means divine gift. Farron means uh, a British word meaning handsome, uh, handsome servant. So Clive Owen is literally a handsome and divine gift who will do whatever he can to protect the first oh, newborn baby. Do you think Clive wanted that name? Or was that actually in the novel by Petey James? I think it was in the novel, but it wasn't something, it wasn't like a, a vanity thing. No, I don't think right. so. Okay. I, I, well, my question is, how do you rate Clive Owen in this film? And I rate him highly. I don't, I don't think he has much vanity like he kind of like he spends a lot of this movie running around in thongs yep and not the sexy type his portrayal uh in this movie is my favorite version of the masculine quote-unquote action hero type the kind of reluctant hero that isn't thumping his chest you know there's a vulnerability to him there's that real sense of what adulthood actually is where it's like oh for fuck's sake all right yep let's let's go i gotta yeah. do i you know i don't want to but no one else is around to do this so yeah, he makes decisions very quickly in it doesn't yeah. he and i and, and has that, to and it's very much like max in fury road yeah. you know yeah. that all the it, fucked up incels were complaining about that he wasn't masculine enough and it's like no no, no your, your view of masculinity is so what? it's like a 10 year old's version really? of masculinity really man 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 right. no, that's that's a delta male yeah yeah uh so this is interesting did you not realize all the stuff that came up around mad max fury road no i didn't know 
Ah, mm. oh, phenomenal. Right. So, so Ben and I have talked about this before. When Mad Max Fury Road came out, there were all these websites and men's groups who pushed back against the movie <laughs> because they said it castrated the character of Max. And at the time, I thought it was the funniest shit I had ever read, right. and I was so embarrassed for those men. And I thought, you tedious cockfats, why would you do this? And then sort of like eight months later... They all voted Donald Trump in, mm-hmm. and I realised they weren't as funny as I thought. So mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah. But, but yeah, that was it's the same people who think that so you're you saying, know Starbuck was castrated in the Battlestar Galactica series. Mm-hmm. Pretty that. serious charger. You're saying George Miller's responsible for Trump, essentially. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not saying he's responsible. I'm saying he pointed out where they were, and we misjudged right. it. We should have realised that these men are dangerous, but mm. instead we thought they were sad sacks, which they are. But they can vote. They're also very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it, I mean, it's such a tenuous grasp on your own masculinity that you think that de- deferring to someone else's wisdom for five minutes when you like admitting your limitations as a human being is somehow a slight on your masculinity. Yeah. And, and, and so when I say that Cl- like Clive Owen's performance in this, I think is perfect. Yeah. You know, he's. His character is the moral anchor of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is, uh, part, him and Key, you know. Yeah. Uh, he has no agenda. Yeah, yeah. Other than to do the right thing yeah. moment by moment in the uh, in the constantly changing circumstances he finds himself yeah. in. Yeah. And uh, weirdly, his first appearance, like when the bomb goes off and he's properly terrified, weirdly, uh, kind of reminded me of George Lazenbury in his only Bond appearance. You know, there's that moment where George Lazenbury is actually terrified in a like he's actually scared in a moment and it was like oh you don't really see that yeah. in those kind of masculine uh mm. genre type of characters and i really like that about clive owen in this um well, i think i mean I, th- I think that people don't realize that they do love that type of uh, i don't think he's an action hero before a bit of term action hero you know there's a reason that people still love die hard it's because he's crawling around in bare feet with glass sticking out, yeah. and you know he's he gets when he gets punched, he's fucked up. Yeah. He's not you're not taking fifty punches into the face like yeah, fuck you, man, bang bang. Well, that's, you know, that's why Die Hard Four sucks, and Die Hard One is great and still remembered. Yeah, the, the, it makes no sense to have continuing uh, adventures with um, with that character because. Mm the thing that works for it is he doesn't want to be there yeah. and he can't believe he's there and ah, oh, this situation <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when it happens the second time you go fuck how bad does this guy have with luck and then by the third time you start to think I reckon he's looking for it I reckon <laughs> fuck this guy yeah. <laughs> I've turned on Doug um, but uh, are you a Clive Owen fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fans are strong, but I always like seeing him in movies. Yeah. Uh, what's happened to him? He doesn't seem to appear in it's anything. It's a shame, right? He's Has great. he disappeared? It's, mm. it's one of those things where I feel like he was on the cusp of, like, proper... Like, of course, he, he is a star, but, like, proper stardom. And then just a few of his choices didn't really quite land so you know you, you kind of um from say 2000 on like he's he's in uh, gosford park he's oh, in I the born identity moment. which he is his scene in the born identity is pivotal yeah. it reverberates in the third one uh-huh. you know but where's he been since 2010 so so he's not really i haven't seen him much he did a show called the nick Right. There's a series where he plays a surgeon in the early 1900s, I believe. Mm. But uh, what, what I'm what I'm saying is, so he does Born Identity, makes a whole lot of films. Uh, this is still 2004. He Sin does City. Closer. He does Sin City. Uh, he does Inside Man. Uh, he does Children of Men. He does Shoot 'Em Up. He oh. does Elizabeth the Golden Age, and then. He, 
Like he does duplicity, which see, is... See, I don't know why, but a guy like Clive Owen should never get in tights for the Elizabethan age. I don't think... <laughs> right, yes. Just don't, don't put him in tights. Yeah, yeah he's a modern... He's a, he, yeah. 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 I think you'd get him in the 17th century gear, yeah. uh, looking like a cavalier or a roundhead. That'd be right. Yeah. But, but not puffy pants. Well, he's in uh, Impeachment American Crime Story playing Bill Clinton. So... Really? Yeah. Really? What an odd yeah. choice. Wow. Yeah. So it's... And I really like him. He, he did a lot of... I think he went and did a lot of stage stuff. He might be a little bit... Uh, might actually have a touch of the Al Pacino's about him. You know, uh, I, I didn't realise uh, until I read a, an old interview that one of the reasons Pacino never really won an Oscar when he should have was because he actually didn't understand how Hollywood worked. And so when he was nominated for things and everyone else was going out and pitching why they should win, he was off doing American Buffalo and things like that. And so actually he was doing the job. He was, you know doing stage work, etc. So, But I love Clive Owen in this. I think this might be my favourite uh, performance yeah, me too, of his. Definitely. It made me question my sexuality in my early 20s. Oh, that's great. Clive gra- Owen. Yeah, he was right. just like, he was the first actor that I registered as just impossibly handsome. Yeah. And had got a real man crush on him and because I was, you know, grew up in the Northern Beaches and incredibly homophobic, it was like, oh my God, does this mean I'm gay? It's been a year freaking out about it. <laughs> right. That's so funny. Probably just means you want to be his best friend and hang around him Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just recognise that uh, handsome yeah. is handsome. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't mean you want to touch his uh, penis part. Um, there's so much detail. <laughs> it doesn't mean you want to oil his gun. Uh, like, right. you don't. You don't, you don't want to whittle his wood. Like, you don't want to do any of the, those oh, other right. things that you do oh, in your okay. video game. We're there game. already, are we? <laughs> yeah. Here we go. You knew I, it was going to happen. I must have been, I did start it. Yeah, <laughs> you did start it, but I think you wanted to start it. Don't feel bad about it. You're in a safe space. Uh, we've already talked about some of the detail in this. There's graffiti that reads, avoiding fertility tests is a crime, which kind of feels a bit similar to some of the vaccination stuff I'm seeing around in advertising. Yeah. Uh, also, the propaganda of only only British soldiers uh, in feeling very much like something out of uh, Brexit. Uh, my question to you guys is, art likes to tell cautionary st- uh, stories about the future that often come true in some way. Therefore, do artists predict the future or does make the making of the art create the future? Well, I think we, this is a very big question. It's probably this is now we're at the central question of what the movie is and mm, what yeah. it's supposed to be about. Um, I, I had my own thoughts on what the movie was and... It was largely around, of course, the, this idea that's pretty patently obvious, which is that if we stop having children, that will remove all goodwill from society. Mm. Yeah. And we just break down into some vile form of warring tribalism. This happened, this movie came out, I think, a year before the Sandy Hook shooting. Right. And at the end of that, the push for gun law reform in the United States fell and nothing changed yep. after that happened. And I think Obama said at the time, America decided that they weren't going to do a thing about it and it was better to let children die than uh, restrict yep. access to guns. So there's, there's a, once you abandon, the, the thesis of the, the book is, and, uh, of the movie is, and I think I, I think I subscribe to this too, once you have a world without children, uh, there's something lost that's so terribly profound yep. and it makes, all, it makes us all misanthropes. Yep. Um, it, we lose access to a, a very particular form of tenderness within ourselves, which is why at the end of the movie, when Kia's had the baby and she's walking through that, that house through an extraordinary oh. battle scene, yeah. holding it, and, and all the fighting just stops suddenly, that they're all kind of, they're, that they're all utterly overwhelmed. 
and I pronounce his name Chitaway Chewy Telegraphy. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, uh, he, he, the way he's so he's there firing his gun from yeah. the from the corner. He's saying, oh, "I've forgotten how beautiful babies are," and he's he's on the he's he's sort of caught between this kind of bloodlust and, yeah. and 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 grief for the for for remembering what it is to have a baby in your life. Yeah, and he and see that thing and to have those feelings of deep tenderness that are. Unlocking yourself. I mean, when you become a parent, um, it's really shocking how that happens. Mm. I mean, when you go into parenthood, you are told you're going to get this flood of feeling for this human that isn't even in the world yet. Mm. It's like this kind of silhouette of a baby with an X on it. And and when you're told that, you're going to have this sudden flood, rush of feeling. It just sounds like black magic. And you go, well, I just don't believe that. I think I'm going to come to love this baby is it because but it's actually true you mm. do get it it's really shocking yeah. it comes to you in a flood and and it, it completely um dismantles you disarms you what's the word i'm looking for all these masculine images but but it, it just floors you all these things and yeah. and you 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 feel the need to surrender to it and it's very beautiful yeah uh, so without babies doing that i think to people I'm not saying you need babies to be kind. I don't think that's true. Right. Um, but nonetheless, it, there's a certain kind of tenderness that that children invoke in us. And sadly, of course, a terrible cruelty it invokes in other people as well. But nonetheless, if we don't have access to that tenderness, then we're all going to hell and we're all going to die. Right. That's, that's what I think is the film. Yeah. Having done, said that, I looked into P.D. James. I haven't read any of P.D. James before, yeah. mm-hmm. and who wrote the book The Children of Men. It has the definite article in the front of it. P.D. James was a conservative Christian, yeah, and, an Anglican, and sat in the House of Lords um, with a life peerage as a conservative. And I think this book, looking looking well, this story, looking back on it now, is that generation's, particularly their response to the horrors of the 20th century. Yeah, many Christian. Theorists like C.S. Lewis um, and uh, and her, and herself see the twin evils of Nazism and Stalinism as these monstrous things that rose up after the death of God, mm. and the, they were they're sort of beasts of atheism, if you like. Without uh, what happens when you have leaders and people who don't feel the moral constraint of of having a God in heaven above. And I think that's what this is, what, what she's pointing at here uh, in Children of Men. Mm. I, I think that the disappearance of children is actually a metaphor for the disappearance of God. Right. Really? Right, right. Oh, I see. Yeah, wow. So, uh, in, in a way, it's almost like God has uh, forsaken us and uh, taken away the potential for a future as no, well. No, no, we've forsaken God. We've forsaken God. That's right. the theory. We've right. forsaken that. Yeah. We've, we've stopped looking at that. Yeah. And it's through believing in God that gives us access to our best selves. Right. Uh, that leads to the finer feelings that um, anchors us morally in the universe. Right. Um, not intellectuals, but most, but the by and large, the, the population by and large needs, this is how the theory goes, that external morality. Right. Uh, that, that, that thing you gather around where you say, we're all going to be judged after this. Yeah. So we better behave ourselves in this life. Well, there's and there's uh, and that uh, ending is coming soon, isn't it? Like, I guess with uh, children being born, there's always, you know, there's the sense of renewal, yes, constantly happening around us, and with that gone, and uh, Christians always require hope too. So right. the ending mm. is a hopeful one, right? A, a tiny 
thread of hope, a yeah. very that slimmest, slimmest thread. Yeah. But it's still there nonetheless. The hope is not destroyed in this movie. Yeah. Can I, can I talk about what I read from it this time? Yeah. Cool. All right. That was weird. Oh, no, no, no. no. Tell us. Go. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) I I, I agree with what you said about the children. All right, that's enough, mate. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, So the way I read it this time was I feel like the, the, the children not being in the world anymore is the metaphor for a way of life, you know, Queen Escarzi, a way of life that calls for another way of living. And that the reason that, for whatever reason, the world is fallow and there's no more children. It's basically the earth has decided, hey, guys, like the way you are living is putrid and toxic and it's time to finish. And so the metaphor of no children anymore is there's no hope. There is no hope for the future. We're a di- dead and dying species. Uh, and so um, that hope at the end of the human project, as you say, it is that sliver of hope. And I think the whole way through when people are talking about it, they're talking about it almost as though it's a myth or a joke. Michael Caine talks about it in the context of a joke. There is no hope. It's a, it's, it's almost a joke to talk about hope. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, I've lost the thread of what I was saying. Well, let me, let me, um, let me, let me jump, jump onto that idea yeah. that, that is, it does seem very appropriate now increasingly as you know, catastrophic climate change is, is, yeah. is starting to arrive now that increasingly, again, this same article I was reading, you hear millennials often saying humanity was a mistake. Mm. It's an extraordinary thing to come to believe. Yeah. Um, so this idea that it's a dangerous thought in some ways, it's understandable, but it, but dangerous is once you start seeing human beings as viruses or cockroaches, whoa, there we go. Yeah. Then they ought to disappear. Um, and there's too many of us. And on the other hand, this population crisis we have, which is sort of zooming up exponentially, mm. it's, it's, it's reached its peak. As it goes down, it, it's not going to go down, and it is going, it's about to go down. It's not going to go down in a straight line. It, as it went up exponentially, it's going to go down exponentially. Right. So there's going to, like, by the time we're dead, there's probably going to be quite a few, quite a lot less people on the planet. Yeah. Uh, and certainly by, by the end of the century, yeah. uh, the population of the Earth will be assuming we're not all killed by catastrophic climate change, will we'll, uh, be much, much lower than it is now. Is that- I think, wait a minute, I think you are underestimating our Premier who has knocked up his wife seven <laughs> times and can probably still get her pregnant another ten times That's in right. the next... Uh, Nine years, so he'll do it by himself. That's right. Yes, I think that's... um, There you go. There's an ad for Catholicism right there. Yeah, good on him. Good on him. He's just trying to stop the curve from going Mm -hmm. down. That's right. No, I respect that. Doing his bit for the nation. I don't don't think the movie's anti... Learned... learned, I'd love to send him some gym socks. Anyway, go on. What were you going to say? I don't think think the movie's anti-human. I think it's anti the way we are living. And I think that... Yes, I agree. for, for, For the thesis of the movie, as I see it, the way of life needs to die. And that's why... Everyone is wiped out, including the refugee camp at the end. It's literally bombed into rubble. And I think the most devastating part of the movie, and it set me off into heaving funeral sobs, was that beautiful scene you talk about. The war stops as they're carrying the baby through and everyone's, you know, it's almost like it's the, 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 the Christ child. They're touching its feet and they're weeping. And it's that catastrophic moment where the soldiers get on their knees it's quiet, and then bang! Straight back into it, like yeah. it's and, that's and brilliant. Yeah. That, that's the moment that I think that sums up the mm. entire point that the movie's trying to make. Of like, guys, like, what are we? 
what yeah. are we doing? We have to stop altogether. We can't yeah. pause briefly to yeah. go, holy shit, this miracle that we never thought was going to happen. Anyway, back to killing each other. And that seems to be very much indicative of where we're at at the moment, you know, in, in a wider context of the society. Of oh, like, yeah. You yes, know, I it's, agree. it's all our yeah, war, of, of, you know, between each other. Yes. Everything, yeah. culture wars, everything. You know, it's just... I, I think, you know, that point I was making about that I think P.D. James is making in, yeah. in the story, which is that if you desacralize life, yeah. if you if you want to see life as nothing special and nothing sacred, then that opens you to that kind of mass, mass gun violence. Yeah. But of course... Some of the some of the worst holocausts in the world have been created by people trying to build heaven on earth yep, in right. the name of a god, haven't they? I mean, and uh, and we, we, it, it works both ways. That theory, I think. Well, utopias uh, are a very dangerous idea because you know right. if I don't agree with you know your utopia, then I'm against your utopia, and I'm therefore an enemy, right, of of the ideology, right. The uh, and you know we have the uh, everyone's going to Glasgow pretty soon or is it are they already there for the next week, uh, the latest next week, I think, yeah. next week for yeah. uh, the latest climate change stuff and you know seems all kind of like a lot of dick swinging and nothing's really going to be achieved I don't really feel like anything's going to be done I don't really think any of our leaders really do give a fuck about the next generation I think I think they're prepared to go as far as they can as their as their electorates will let them yeah <laughs> so right. we can't blame our leaders I think Right. I mean, if we really, if our leaders would change, if we held them to account, and it doesn't take much to do it. Like uh, we're getting right off topic here, but but uh, you know, we have a couple of interesting independents pop up in some of the wealthy inner city liberal seats, and suddenly Scott Morrison's finally ready to, to beg and plead with Barnaby Joyce to make him come on board. Right. So, um, no, I, mean, I mean, we get the governments to a large degree in a democracy. We get the governments we deserve. But don't we also have? Uh uh, you know, we have the issues with the Murdoch uh, newspapers, which also then corral and and subliminally uh, affect our population. So, but Justin, haven't you heard they've had a change of heart? Oh, have they? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. right. They've, they've gone green now. They. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw the. Um, Ah, oh, what was that documentary about? That? Inception. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> so they must have gotten in that way. Break up the. Break it up. Uh, the, the good thing that's come out of the Murdoch press suddenly being pro-climate change and the Liberal government being pro-climate change, at least admitting after 30 years of denial that it is real, is that maybe, I mean, I do think it's probably still too late, but maybe it is the end of this false debate that everyone's been having. Oh, well, maybe the science is still out. Maybe it isn't real. Right. Maybe we can finally get to a consensus where the general population is no, harrowed. I think we're te- out of the books woods now. I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I, I, I think it's still a, a there's, there's too much money to be made out of using oh, it as yeah. a cultural war issue. And the tipping point, like, was 2016. Like the crank, they said, the, the cranks in sky after dark are... Uh, they, I mean, if, if they're not there to say that climate change is fanciful and the solutions to it are dangerous and expensive, then, you know, who's paying their salaries? That's what they're there. I mean, you think any of those idiots would get a normal job? Right. I mean, if, it, if it wasn't paid for by the Murdoch right. media, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, they'd have to they'd be publicists for some opera company, probably, if, yeah. they, weren't, if they weren't being ranting against, um, <laughs> against mad, yeah. mad solutions for climate change. I find it fascinating. We've talked about this before, but uh, human beings created the economy. It, was, uh, it wasn't anything important. It was something that we made up just because one person had a chicken and another person had a duck. And suddenly we have this thing that was so reliance on that we can't do anything to change it uh even though it's ruining the world and if you think about it that way it's, it's like oh right well just make up something 
better. Better idea. Yeah, have a better idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep the chicken, but I'll rent out the duck. Like rent the duck. Yeah, like an Airbnb type thing. Fuck. I can have my duck for about three days in yeah. in February. Yeah, yeah. it'll be great. The, uh, I think this goes... The, the, the thing you said before about, you know, does this movie predict the future or is it seeing... You know, I think we forget... Or create the future. Create the future. I think we forget now because global warming and all this stuff is very much in the, in the zeitgeist and in the conversation. It's been in the zeitgeist and the conversation for decades. Yeah. You know, the early Grant Morrison comics, Animal Man's talking about this. It's the, yeah. it's the what, mid-80s? The oh. very first episode of the science show on ABC Radio National that Robin Williams did in 1974. Yeah. The opening story was uh, scientists are saying that carbon emissions are warming the Earth's climate. Yeah. That's the 70s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had the uh, the hydrofluorocarbons debate in the 80s. Uh, but, you know, we fixed that and everything's that fine. Yeah. We're back on track. Look, we can do it. Do, you, do you have hope for the future, Richard? I think you have to. I think it's sinful to despair, isn't it? Um, you have to. <sighs> you have to. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this in the past, and I won't go for too long, but... but um, I'm older than you guys. I'm an aging Gen Xer. I uh, went through the Cold War. Yep. When I came out of uni, uh, when I came out of high school, I mean, in the early 80s, mm. I thought I wouldn't live to see 30. This was the early 80s, and the Cold War had revived under Reagan, and there was the ailing and aging Brezhnev and then Chinyenko in uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, the reaction time to a missile report was shrunk down to almost nothing at all. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there'd been a couple of false alarms. Mm. Uh, we now know that uh, the US NATO led NATO exercise called Able Archer was seen by the Soviet leadership as a cover for a definite first strike nuclear attack. And though the Soviets were getting ready to strike first, it was only when some Soviet KGB members thought, we better ring up the CIA and tell them this is what our people are thinking. Yeah. They went, oh, holy crap. And all this reassurance was then made that we're not going to do this. It came so very close. Mm. And I, at the time, could not see a way out of that stalemate. It just looked, it was a knot that was being pulled tighter and tighter and tighter. And then it was fixed. Mm. Right. And then by the end of the 80s, you get the end of the Cold War. And for people in my generation, it was like we got our lives back again. We could sort of plan for the future again. Yeah. Um, that, that's not to say we're not all going to die in some kind of choking post-nuclear um, hazardous waste sludge nightmare mm -hmm. but that still yeah. could happen but nonetheless mm. that that worry that feeling of of imminent nu nuclear catastrophe hanging out of our heads mm. was a real thing I sat in the refectory at ANU when I was a student there and we used to have conversations like this we'd say if there was nuclear war um, would Canberra be a target? And people say, oh, yeah, yeah Canberra's going to be a target, mate. Yeah, like people like, like I didn't say knowledge because of the Deacon, Deacon Telephone Exchange, mate. That's where all the important signals go out. So it's that and Pine Gap. So we, and we were thinking like, oh, that's good. You know, we'll, we'll, because there wasn't going to be no escape in Australia. Mm. Right. It wasn't going to be like the chrysalids where New Zealand survives, the Antipodes mm. survive. Yeah. No, no, we, we learned in the 80s about the nuclear winter. Mm. Yeah. Um, huge choking clouds of mm. dust would be thrown up and the world, world would be choked mm. and all the crops would die and then we'd die. Yeah. Um, we'd just die this much slower and more painful death. So the idea that you'd be vaporized was, was well, that was of some relief. Now, when you're in uni, <laughs> you shouldn't be having those kind of conversations. No. No. So, I uh, know, I've, I've been through one and seen one apocalypse averted. Maybe it'll happen again, maybe it won't. You, you know what we need to do? Like, the, the Cold War was 
finished when Rocky beat Drago. So what we need is we need we need Rocky to fight Swamp Thing, and uh, once he punches out Alec Holland, then we'll yeah. be back on. No, track. Swamp Thing needs to kill Rocky. Rocky's the isn't Rocky the embodiment of American capitalism? It's nature uh, that needs to kick oh, Rocky's yeah. ass. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like I, I yeah, do believe in Rocky. Win. Yeah, Swamp Thing's got to kick his fucking. Yeah, but Rocky's like more important than Swamp Thing. No, what are you talking about? He's, He's going to regreen the cities like he did in Gotham City at the Alan Moore run of Swamp don't Thing. Talk oh, down, Rocky. So good. You guys talking don't down talk Rocky down like Swamp this. Thing. Rocky fucking stopped the Cold War. What did Swamp Thing do? Swamp Thing saved nature, man. Did he? He greened Gotham City. He greened Gotham City. <laughs> and, and the then he got, ran. And then he got zapped by fucking Lex Luthor. Rocky, that's what we need. I'm standing you know, all by I'm this one. I'm saying to you is if you stranded Rocky on, a, on another planet, another galaxy where everything was blue vegetables, he'd punch his way back. He'd never get his way back. He yeah. would. Yeah. He, he would. would. He'd punch his way back. But don't Surfing underestimate like Rocky. to get back to Earth. He'd fucking do it. Ooh. You're regretting you chose Rocky now, aren't you? <laughs> no, not at all. I feel very confident about Rocky. He's done a lot wait, for wait. us. Circa 1970s Rocky or Rocky now? Yeah. Like Rocky Balboa. No, no, I still believe Ugh. in him. Like he, he are, you can Rocky, do... are you Rocky 4 or Rocky 1? or where No, Rocky? I, want, I want Rocky past Creed 2. I'm fucking right in. <laughs> Don't underestimate Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll, he'll punch the environment back into shape. That's what he'll do. Um, so, Michael Caine as Jasper. Yeah. One of the great... Michael Caine performances for me. Yes, one of the uh, greatest. In, in his in his 70s yeah. when he makes this, uh, which makes me laugh so much. Like, when you look at his career and you go, imagine imagine telling Michael Caine in 1963, <laughs> in the 70s, one uh, year in your 70s, you will make Children of Men, The Prestige, you'll make all these Nolan films, yeah. you'll do uh, the Harry Brown, like you'll play a tough guy, like you will make yeah. some of the best films that you will ever make. And uh, where, where do you rate well, this in well, the Sir Michael well, list? I think his, his character's important. I think yeah. he's the baby boomer in it. Yeah. Yes. And yes. he's, first of all, the reminder of a much sunnier period where people are having sex all the time. Yeah. Um, particularly the British... Uh, baby boomer, like they weren't going to Vietnam, so they don't have yeah. that kind of looming horror like th- that's there, sort of hiding behind the hippie movement in the yeah. in America. In Britain, they're not going to Vietnam. It's all like you know, go, go down, buy, sell some hippie clothes at uh, you know Ladbroke Grove, uh, Chelsea Markets, or whatever. Yeah, going to have sex with a great bird you've met down there. Yeah, um, uh, smoke some weed. Yeah. Go Probably see, wear the same shoes. Yeah, and go and see Deep Purple that night, which are, right. which you can hear in the soundtrack of that. Yeah. They're doing Hush. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so what a you know that sunnier feeling of optimism that the world is a young person's world you can live in. He's the last connection to that, but also perhaps a bit of a hint that a message for boomers that yes, you're getting old, you're going to die soon. Yeah. Boomers don't yeah. want to hear that. Maybe that's no. one of the reasons why the movie tanked. Right. <laughs> they're right. they're yeah. the people who go to movies. Hey, too. boomers, you're old. You're going to die soon. <laughs> yeah. Just a reminder. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy the film. Yeah. How good's uh, Michael Caine? Mm. Yeah. I also think it's a slight, not overtly, but there's a slight kind of little bit of indictment on the decadence of that generation. Oh, you know, yeah. he's still sitting around smoking weed and, and, and the apathy, you know, there's, and again, it's, it's all done with background stuff. You know, Clive Owen arrives at that train station. There's literally people in cages yeah. and it's just so every day. They don't even notice. They're yeah. hugging each other and like, Hey, great to see you. While grandma's in a cage going, <laughs> yeah. and then they drive past that, 
hor- horrific van that looks like lambs yep. taken to the slaughterhouse. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, they're all getting taken off to the camp. You know, anyway, let's go down to my awesome woodside, yep. m- you know, quasi-mansion and smoke weed and listen to Aphex Twin. Like, there's that detachment from or a lack of responsibility for the contributing to this world that now exists. But when it comes to the, the hard graft, he, he, he's a stand-up guy. He doesn't yes. betray his friend, That's does he? That's true. Yeah. yeah. No, he's still, and he's uh, also caring for his wife. Well, yeah. You know, and, whatever and is ailing her. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think he's just... I kind of get the impression, in a way, he's a little bit like Clive Owen's character of Theo, where he's probably been uh, quite militant in his youth. And now it's like, well, I've... I've done all I can, and now I'm just going to look after my wife and be uh, Mm. content with my friends that I catch up with now and again. Um, uh, We discover that there are a number of cults that have sprung up, like the renouncers who flagellate themselves for the curse of infertility, (laughs) and other religious sects are alluded to. Uh, This is something that, in our desperation, we look for answers. So my question for both of you is, if you were to end up in a cult, which one would you turn to? Bonus points. There's no points in the show. Bonus points if you want to begin your own. That's exactly where I would go. (laughs) Is that your own cult? I've always always said that my my, um, apocalypse survival strategy is... uh Become Starting a my own cult. All you yeah. need is about 25 acolytes and you'll probably be okay for a little while. Oh, yeah. What would you offer them? Oh, my wisdoms. Right. <laughs> yeah, great. Your wisdoms. Yeah. Look, anyone joining a cult is incredibly impressionable and very um, very easily influenced, right? So yeah. you just need to sound like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. What would you be preaching? Uh, oh, the, the Abstinence or indulgence? Oh, total indulgence, right? Like right. If, the, if the plane's going down... Yeah. I mean, that seems to be generally where the world is at now, right? Yeah. There's, there's this kind of, like, mellow thing of, like, hey, the world's ending, fuck it, let's just, you know, let's buy all the big screen TVs and do what we want. You yeah. know, what's the point of not doing it? So, yeah, total decadence, right? Yeah, I would End definitely start my own. I would uh, I would go the Morrison and the Invisibles route and work out a whole cosmology that's based on all of the musicians that I really love. <laughs> and uh, we would pray to, you know, pray to Lennon in the morning and, uh, you know, pray to Bowie at night and, you know, say some kind words to T-Rex, Mark Boland, you know, <laughs> he'll be one of our saints. Uh, and uh, you crank out the vinyl on a gramophone. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, let's have a listen. It's that time of the day where we listen to Hunky Dory. So it'll be all right. What about you, Richard? Or would you join one? No. I, yes, I, I've always been a bit partial to a 14th century cult called the Adamites. These were these were proto-Protestant nudists who uh, would walk around Central Europe in groups naked, and yep. they believed that making themselves naked made them uh, sinless. They were uh, they were emulating yep. uh, Adam and Eve. In in the Garden of Eden. Right. Yeah. Therefore, you had nuns seeing the light and throwing off their their cassocks, priests right. throwing up the chasubles and walking around naked as jaybirds, naked as, as, as God made them. Yeah. And in, in packs in packs from village to village. There's a wonderful account. I've got this in my book of them. They showed up in Prague at one point, um, and I was like, "Who are these people?" Right. Um, pre- preaching this kind of radical, radical back to nature uh, nudism as, as part of it. Jesus, you would be cold, bit cold in the winter, though, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm, I'm so that's so funny. I was literally thinking, oh my god, imagine getting Shrinkage. sunburn on your mm. uh, yeah, Well, shri- yeah, yeah. So I'd, uh, that's what I'd be worried about. I, I wonder if I, I don't know whether sandals were allowed either, but right. uh, probably not. But the problem was they went a bit bad. They went a bit bad because a cult going bad. Like, yeah. I'm, like what? Are you serious? 
they started hanging around near the Taborites, which was another radical Protestant sect, yeah. proto-Protestant Protestant sect outside of Prague, north of Prague. And they, um, they, they had the hatred of the Taborites, both they and the Taborites. They, the Adamites concluded that this was all, they were doing things quite properly, but given that they were sinless, and that the fully clothed people working in the village, labouring in the village, were clothed well. They were still with sin. Right. Therefore, it was perfectly okay to show up with knives and swords uh-huh. and kill them and take all their possessions. Uh-huh. And, of course, that's that- what they did. So they went they went murdering people right. and, and stealing their stuff. So they're kind of like a Manson family type thing. Right. And they were led by, of course, a, a sex-crazed priest. Right. Because <laughs> the, the thing every cult has in common is they have a, a, a leader who wants to reorder the sex lives of their followers. That's right. all they have in common. So that's so, where my cult will be different. We will... will everyone can <laughs> fuck however they want to. They can jerk off... Uh, We'll all have spare rooms. I don't want to hear about it. They'll just have to listen to the music that I choose. That's, yeah. uh, that's, <laughs> that's it. How, People that's coming to you saying, who should we have sex with and when should we do it? Yeah. And you're going to be asked for a considered opinion on that. I'm very... And you too, Benny. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> all I'm saying is if you guys are starting your own cult, you've got to give us a lot of thought. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I already embrace where these things go. Right. It's within a couple of years. Have you guys seen Wild Wild Country? The, no. um, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, it's, about it's the orange people. fucking brilliant yeah, yeah. about the orange people. You're but, right. you know, you spend the first two episodes and it's, you really buy into this. It's like, yeah, man, you could build this civilization free from capitalism and everyone's just contributing, da, da, da. And one of the episode ends with one of them saying, and that's when we brought automatic weapons into the compound. Oh, right. like, yeah, yeah, Afghan. yeah. <laughs> I also see that, you know, eventually power would go to your heads, both of you. Oh, yeah. Both of you. And oh, yeah. at that point, you'd get bored with things and you go, well, why shouldn't I try and start a master race? Of getting the right people. I'm fully aware of the quality of my spoon. There yeah. ain't no master right. race in me. Yeah. You say that now. <laughs> yeah. But after a year or two of people saying, gee, Ben, you're the greatest. You've got a special thing going on. You, after a while, you go, you know what? I do. I am. I am, right. a, I am a special person. You underestimate my inferiority complex. I've turned on comedy audiences for laughing too hard at me. Yeah. Shut up. Don't laugh at me. I he, suck. He gets furious if people enjoy him too much. That's, That's why true. I have to throw in a couple of daggers now and again just to keep it on, and on an even keel. Right. So he yeah. feels okay. Yeah. And by the way, like while we're talking about this, can dust still fertilize an egg? Because otherwise there's no way I'm having children. Really? Like, yeah. Like it would have to be like dust particles that well. can... <laughs> I know how my cult would fall apart. I'd, I'd find a small part of the sect would suddenly be praying to Bowie in Labyrinth, thinking that's the best thing he's ever made, and then I would fucking that's burn the compost out. Yeah. 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 Then there'd be a purge. Don't you worry right. about that. I have turned. You know yeah. what? Yeah. I am going to have all the children. Um, by the way, how, were they the Amamites? Adamites. Adamites. As in Adam and Eve. Oh, right. Okay. Adamites. So, so th- this is my question for you. People live on farms back then. Yep. How'd they sneak up on people if they're naked carrying all those weapons? <laughs> like, were they holding like I daggers think, in their shitter? Like were I th- they? <laughs> I, th- I think they, they sort of descended on them en masse. Oh right, and, okay. and I think if you've got a bunch of naked men and women, yeah, carrying swords and knives yeah. and axes, yeah. coming charging towards you, you terrifying. What is that? Are they naked? Yeah. Why are they running this this way? They've got axes in their hands. Are they helping me with the chores? Right. Oh God. Yeah, there's a tomahawk in my head. I'm dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, no. that, that, that's pure supposition on my part. I think but, it would also be the lack of care for their own um, sense of self protection. Yeah, that would be discombobulating and terrifying. There, there was a sect of samurai that they used to step out. The, the front line would step out before battle and behead themselves. 
as a way of um, psychologically intimidating their opponent. Oh, that'd work. Yeah, 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 yeah it'd work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I, I think naked people when they're running really fast, yeah, are very funny. Yeah, and oh yeah, so you'd be killed <laughs> over going. <laughs> he, he's going to trip over his oh, dong in a minute, and then somewhere right. you've got a fucking yeah, mace in the right. face. I love cult logic. Most of the good. neckers smacking into each other as they're running headlong down a grassy yeah. hill. Yes. Yeah, if I'd heard they were coming, I would have yeah. set up giant mirrors and reflected the sun on their nuts and tried to explode them from a distance. So this is a problem-solving podcast. Yeah, it is. Anyone who wants to try it, uh, please do and let us know how it works. Uh, when Theo is kidnapped by his ex-wife and militant immigrant rights group, uh, the Fishers, we noticed in the newspaper that Kazakhstan was blown up by a Russian nuclear bomb. Mm. And we also know that something awful happened in New York. Uh, there's uh, a worldwide flu in 2008 that has wiped out stacks of heaps of people. Um, and do you relate to the exhaustion that Theo feels when confronted by the fishes? Because they kind of... They remind me... So I te- technically agree with everything that Ricky Gervais says. Like, everything he says, I technically agree with, and I find him so fucking exhausting. There yep. are times where I sort of think, you know what, maybe maybe I am going to eat a steak tonight just to spite you, or maybe yep. I am going to genuflect just because you are too blah in my face. And I feel like Theo is that person who does necessarily believe that having people shouting at him. I think, I think Clive Owen is actually deceptively funny. In yeah. those scenes as well. They remind me, the, the, the fishes remind me of the Trotskyites I went to uni with. Yeah, just everything relates back. And right. Essentially, they're sort of like fundamentalist Christians because yes. they yeah. go, they've got a kind of a, a a moral matrix with which they, or a moral prism with which they view the world, and everything feeds into that. It has to pass through that prism one way or another. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that, that really annoying. People who've read one book. Right, two books or something. Yeah, oh, well, fun- yeah, fundamentalism for people who aren't religious. It's the reason yeah. I, uh, in my in my mid twenties, whatever, when I identified, I hate that phrase, but identified as an atheist, you know, and then turned against the movement because it was, you know, the number of times I'd be walking down the street and someone would be standing on a street corner with an atheist t-shirt wearing an atheist brooch handing out atheist literature and it's like well it, this is no different from the tactics of the people that you purport to hate so right. i you know it's it's kind of like were you an ex-catholic oh yes you were oh yeah i'm right. surprised that you've glommed the same kind of fervor onto this new ideology oh yes the crooked uh, timber of humanity never did run straight as i don't know it was a dr johnson who said that or someone else i can't remember right yeah but uh, you'll never straighten that timber yeah. no yeah. You'll, you'll never Make perfectly moral human beings no. out of crooked timber. It always reminds me of the Groucho Marx joke of never wanting to belong to a club that would have someone like you as a member <laughs> as well. And you go, oh, no. Like, I, like, good on everything you're doing, but I'll be over here fucking thinking about anything than you preaching in my face. I think that moment, you know, when he's at the farmhouse, you feel, oh, they're safe now. Mm. These, these people are slightly annoying, but they're very moral and decent people. Mm. I mean, they're, they're supporting... Immigrants, you know, that's what yeah. a good thing. They're, but and then, of course, as he's creeping around, he overhears the conversation about he's about to be shot, yeah. and uh, every all this. Instantly, we're sort of unanchored from that moment, untethered. I think yeah. I always feel completely untethered in Alphonse Cuarón's mov- uh, mm. movies. Yeah. The feeling of oh, oh God, the, the whole moral universe just flipped on me. Yeah, and that that's part of the whole discombobulation of the action scene that follows of getting out of the camp, oh. which is incredibly oh. powerful. Yeah, I, I watched it with Kim, my wife, and um, uh, we watched it again the, uh, just the other night in preparation for this. Yeah. And 
And we, we were thinking about how – I remember when I first met Kim, uh, she took me – this is really early 1991. We went on a date. She took me to a John Woo movie, and I hadn't seen any John Woo movies right. before. It was A Better Tomorrow or The Killer, I can't remember. But, but that looked like a whole new way of making an action film. And – He's heavily. He was heavily influenced by Sam Peckinpah. Right. Rapid cutting, mm. scene, 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 scene. Enormous body count. Um, as people carrying themselves with a sense of honor. Honor is actually what counts in the movie, not love. Mm. Yeah. Um, bang, bang, you know, all this stuff going on. It felt thrilling and mad, and you, you sort of dizzying. And then, of course, having taken Sam Peckinpah to a whole new level, and that created a whole new. Aesthetic of violence. Mm. Who then, uh, John Woo? Who John Woo goes <laughs> to yeah. Hollywood, and Hollywood completely adopts all of John Woo's. Mm. Yeah. So now we have this plethora of boring, hectic films. Yeah. Uh, which have none of John Woo's aesthetic, mm. but all of the kind of lessons of jump cutting and all that. So then to have Alphonse Cuarón, who does these long single shot action scenes, yeah. where everything feels dizzying and uncomfortable, you suddenly feel the absolute fear and chaos of that moment it's a whole other way so I'm, what I suppose I'm saying is Alphonse Cuaron I think is like the new John Woo he's re-envisaging how we see violence which is something cinema does so well mm-hmm. yeah. it shows us violence and in a safe way yeah. uh, and, and we, it, it makes us feel the terror of it once again having to sit in it again not, yeah. being, given, not being given any mercy by the edit Having to sit in that car with Julianne Moore's head blown off, oh. you know, you have to. This is what it is. It's yeah. awful. And then they it's pull up. Cool. And they, then, they, then they've got to back up, and the cops arrive, and suddenly yeah. the cops yeah. are dead. And it's like the opening, incredible, amazing opening scene in Gravity. He's moving right. Gravity, yeah. where where it's sort of the spacewalk that goes wrong. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was I was I was yeah. reeling in the cinema, <laughs> moving from side to side, just thinking I, I, I might have to put my hand in front of my face. I'm yeah. so so frightened right now. <laughs> yeah. And and it was so powerful and amazing. It's all done with that single shot. Yeah. God bless Alphonse Cuarón. Just let him make all the movies from now mm. on. I think. Yeah, it's uh, the well, a big chunk of them, uh, definitely. The uh, Gravity. I saw that at the Melbourne IMAX in Whoa. 3D, and at the end of the film, uh, I was with uh, my friend Limo and I turned around to say something to him and I realised that I'd been clenching my jaw (laughs) for so long I had to kind of you know, work it back into shape before mm. I could talk properly. Um, well, last I did this morning when I was watching it, I, I realized uh, through many of those um, long take sequences that I was involuntarily clasping yeah, my, yeah, my hips. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, God, 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 God. Yeah, I, I have uh, irritable leg syndrome at the best of times, but I was like, I had a double fucking leg explosion <laughs> just going, oh, yeah, I'm really enjoying this film. The <laughs> top half is completely, so I'm like a duck and the legs are going, that's what I'm trying to do with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those movies too. It's, there are certain kinds of movies that, even though they're available on Netflix, if you're flicking through the TV and they're on, you watch it on, on broadcast TV, even if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Like, I, th- I think I've seen No Country for Old Men about eight or nine oh, times. Yes. Because I've, I've, I've flicked through the TV channels that's on, and I can watch it on Netflix for, without yeah. ads, but I'll watch it on the TV because I'm stupid. Yeah. But, but, but you're here. Yeah, yeah, you're here, and, and you go, oh, yeah, this is amazing. I, I'm happy to come back again and again yeah. and again to this world. Gravity is like that, and children of men are like this. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Theo's cousin, uh, Nigel, who's played by Danny ah. Houston, yeah. is is a government minister who runs a state-sponsored collection of salvaged art. He has an almost complete statue of David and uh, Picasso's Guernica, uh, which we'll talk about later in the Squid Bits part. Uh, What what is your take on that scene? The... um the, the line uh, 
mum had a plastic one in the bathroom. It was a lamp when he's referring to the statue of David. Uh, it made me laugh, but it also depressed me because it's all great art over time, just reduced to knickknacks that no one really gives a shit about. When you see statue of David, you should be in awe, not wrapped that you can see where you're crapping. You know, the Gold Coast, a shopping centre in the Gold Coast yeah. for a long while had a life-size copy of Michelangelo's yeah. David. Right. In, in, in Cavill Avenue. Yeah, in Cavill Avenue. It became yeah. a tourist attraction all of its own. And right. Gold Coast boasted of having it. Right. This, this absolute replica of the David. When you see it, I don't know if you guys have seen the original yeah, in, in Florence, you go, oh, that is amazing. That is completely yeah. amazing. Um, but... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, art reaches that point where it becomes famous for being famous. Yeah. And maybe this is one of the clever things, and I don't, I don't know if I'm jumping a bit too far ahead here since you did want to talk about Guernica, but it sort of makes you want to look at Guernica again because right. Guernica is the Spanish Civil War. It's, we can talk about it now if you want. Sure. You know, it's a, it's a scene from the Spanish Civil War of unutterable suffering and horror and terror and civilian murder mm-hmm. and massacre and the like. And um, you don't ever see it properly in the movie. You see it on the kitchen wall and you think oh that's just a he's painted that wall to like Guernica and you go oh it is Guernica it is Guernica, it is Guernica. yeah and, you, and um, seeing Guernica in, in the flesh is amazing as well yeah uh, it's so hard to do that with paintings these days right famous paintings yeah I remember going to the Musée d'Orsay for the first time in Paris and seeing uh, Starry Night uh, which is one of the most cliched if you like well not cliche but it's one of the uh, I don't know if there's another example of fine art that is so prevalent in yeah. popular culture and well-known in popular culture other than the Mona Lisa, Venus de Milo and, and the David. Yeah. And, but when you see this a little mm. modest painting all on its own on the wall, it just, it just takes your breath away. You go, oh, oh, oh. And you go, oh, all the reproductions I've been looking at don't do it's anything like it's justice. And you can see the kind of craziness mm. behind yeah. it and, and the texture. The, the texture. And it's, it's so, it's so, it shocked me actually mm. how much I loved it. Good luck getting a look at it now because every fuckwit in the world is taking a selfie in front of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it just makes you so, it makes me so angry mm. and, and homicidal mm. and misanthropic mm. that those cages, in Children of Men, I want to put those selfie art things. <laughs> yeah. I, I want museums to charge. I'm serious about this. No. I want museums to because most people who go to art galleries don't like art. Yeah, and, and I, phones should be black bagged. Yeah, they, they should charge uh, casual admission eighty bucks to get into the Louvre. Yeah. or the British um, uh, port, uh, Portrait Gallery, uh, the National Gallery of Britain. I mean, um, and and have a heavy discount for students. Right, like you know, ten dollars for students. Yeah, eighty bucks. For casual visitors, most people go, ah, bugger it. Yeah. I won't go. I don't need, I don't, I don't need to see the marriage mm. of Arnolfini that much. Right. And on they go and leave it for people who actually like the paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we talked about this on a previous podcast. But by the way, I'm sorry, Ben, that Richard stomped on your role in this podcast of being angry about this kind of stuff. This, really? Yeah, I went no, on it's great. It's great. 15 minute rant two weeks ago about exactly what you're talking about. It's great. You know, about, going to, about going to the Met and, and having, like, having a fucking stroke yeah. that every painting I tried to engage with, and the whole point of it is to get. Get out of your own fucking way and actually engage with the thing and feel a feeling and yeah. not just click, got it, next. Yeah. And that's what the whole thing is. It's just about yes. accruing the checklist of bucket list items to, to get through. Without putting yourself ever- as a celebrity that can drape your arm around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and putting yourself in the way of the thing. That It's not about you. It's about the engagement. What, what did you feel looking at the thing? You know who we need you- to fix it? Hmm. Swamp Thing. 
Well, Rocky could too. No, he, he can't. Because he, he, he could know punch painting. them. He's, he's not into Rocky's art. He's not into he's art. Still, uh, Rocky is into art. Like, did you not see the bronze statue in Rocky Three? You know that like, poster of the, the you t- guys. You know that that sort of poster <laughs> of the the girl playing tennis uh, who's got a bare ass and she she's got the tennis ball against her bum. Yeah, with the sun. That's Rocky's art. Yeah, that's yeah. what he's got. Are on you the saying wall. that's not art? No, I'm not. That's I'm just saying snobbery. that's the kind of thing you don't need to go to a museum to see. But, you know, you just were talking about people taking selfies. Get What Swamp Thing going to do? Put a little flower in their hair. You know what Rocky's going to do? Punch them into next week. No, Swamp Thing's <laughs> going to strangle them en masse with his tentacles. He won't even be able to get in there. There's no plants for him to be able to reproduce. He'll come up through the Rocky drain. Rocky will just walk in. Yeah, someone's throwing a ham you sandwich throw- in the bin. That's for the lettuce on it. I am really angry about this Rocky uh, versus Swamp Thing thing. <laughs> I'm generally upset I can't get you seats in this jungle. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a swamp thing, swamp thing thing. Don't you know, Rocky? That's all I'm saying. Uh, the. Um Thank you, as always, to my dude in crime, Ben Elwood, and our very special guest, Richard Feidler. Remember, you can hear Richard and his podcast through the ABC, and make sure you check out his books as well. They're so beautifully written, and they would make really great Christmas gifts for the end of the year. Uh, if, if you love the, the tone and the rhythm of the way Richard speaks, that's also how he writes. That's a really difficult skill to uh, to put to paper, so you'll be able to read and hear him in your head so go and check those out as well a big thank you also to our patreon subscriber thea for not only listening but investing in all the work we're doing here we'll be back tomorrow for the second part of our children of men deep dive let's finish off with a quote from director alfonso curon the only reason you make a movie is not to make or set out to do a good or bad movie it's just to see what you learn for the next one Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.